Marxism is everywhere. It is all around us. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when others are too afraid to speak their mind. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. I offer you a choice, a choice between two worlds. Take the blue pill and continue living in the world of complacency and indifference. Or take the red pill. Join us in a world where patriots come together to fight for freedom. What the elites don't want you to know is that there are 200,000 open committee man seats in the Republican Party. These party members are the ones who determine the future of the GOP. The precinct strategy will teach you what it takes to help elect America First candidates who share your love of country and a vision for a better America. Will you take the blue pill and continue living in a world where a corrupt few control everything? Or will you take the red pill and join us? Let's take our country back, one precinct at a time. Choose wisely. Your future depends on it. Sign up at precinctstrategy.com now. Welcome back. It's another episode of the Professor Penn Podcast. David Penn here again, guest hosting. As Royce White is engaged in his professional basketball career, I'm so happy to be here with you. Uh, sometimes when we touch, the honesty is too much. Boy, we had we had a real honest, uh, please call me crazy, and we ran off all the constabulary, so you live and you learn. You learn what the rules are. There's certain things you can't show, certain things you can't talk about. Well, wow. All I can say is that's a wow. I want to thank Free People Radio for hosting uh, Please Call Me Crazy. This is the truth media. Truth media, and I say this over and over and over because I don't want the little girls in the sewing circle to think that I'm saying I know what the truth is. I'm striving to discover the truth, which is a lot more than all these blue pills swallowing sons of guns are doing. They're taking that blue pill. Whoa, they don't want the red pill. You know, I get feedback up here in uh, Minnesota. I It's stunning. What's, I mean, it's just stunning. There is such a separation between what we know, this audience, and what we're interested in, and what people that are taking those blue pills are interested in. And then you ask them a question. Hey, did you read that? Have you read that bill? Huh? Do you know what the federalregister.gov is? Huh? Do you know this source material? Huh? You know, I said to there's a great, uh, you can see this actually on uh, YouTube. Zygmunt Brzezinski, who is the father of Mika Brzezinski, was in an argument with Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough, who subsequently married his daughter, Mika. And they were talking about the Middle East in Israel. And uh, Zygmunt said to Joe, to Joe, Morning Joe, he goes, uh, your knowledge of this subject is so minimal that I'm, I'm embarrassed speaking with you about it. I want to try it again for practice because it's such a great line. He said, this is Zygmunt Brzezinski. It's kind of like, you know, the angel of death talking to a Joe, his future son-in-law. And he goes, your knowledge of this subject is so minimal. 
I'm embarrassed speaking with you about it. And that's how I feel with some of these people. They want to opine and have opinions, and their brains are made out of spaghetti. Well, that's why we're doing the show, so that my brain gets refined, your brain gets refined. We actually get into these issues and figure them out because they write everything down. So we're the truth-seeking media, and we're promoting the, you know, the uh, patriot economy. And those two things, truth media plus patriot economy equals freedom. So I want to thank our sponsors, TireGet.com, 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock for all your tire needs, and it's a win-win. You buy your tires at TireGet.com, and you are supporting this broadcast. Please call me crazy, and our intrepid Royce White, and we need your support. And then our new sponsors, MyBookie.com and GhostBad. It's so exciting to be growing. Uh, people are are realizing this, this is the place to be. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. And how are you feeling this evening? Did anybody actually inquire as to your well-being? Are you cared about? Because this movement cares about you. We care about every American citizen, every single one. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our America and America's courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. I needed that. And thank you. Thank you for joining me in that. Why go into why go into this half armed, half baked? This gets us fully baked. Who wants to be a half baked potato? Let's get fully baked on this deal. Employ all of our uh, potentialities because the challenges we face are, you know, really quite great. I want to open the door for miracles in my own life, in your life, in our communal life. Now, it's very interesting. Um, you know, I'm telling stories here. This is storytelling. And traditionally, in the days gone by, that's, that was how information was transmitted, was storytelling. And obviously we still like it because podcasting is, whoa, big time, right? So the elders would come and they would teach the young'uns through fairy tales and, and, and traditional stories. And in those stories, it was like the Wizard of Oz. You know, the, the scarecrow was uh, trying to get intelligence and the, the tin man was looking for his feelings, Right? And the lion, he was looking for his courage. And when you put those three elements together, you know, wisdom and courage 
and the feelings that are necessary to be appropriate because wisdom without feelings is like a morning without sunshine. It's half-baked. But when you get all those elements put together, you're ready to do some work. And that's what I'm, I'm working on that my whole life. I've been working on that. And, you know, we study mind, body, and spirit. We, you know, you know that. I mean, I hope that's still something people... Tanner, do people still talk about mind, body, and spirit? Okay, this is a taxonomy. There's no mind, body, and spirit. That's just breaking it down so we can understand the constituent elements that make us up as human beings because you could work on your well-being through your mind, through your body, through your spirit. There's all kinds of different training methodologies, but it's all aimed at enhancing your well-being, enhancing my well-being. And this is kind of the stuff of, uh, you know, secret societies. Now, movement, movement, movement is critical. It's a fundamental cornerstone to my well-being, to your well-being. And when I say movement, it's intellectual movement. Because if your mind's not active, hey, if your mind's not active, good things are not going to come about. And if your feelings are all blocked up and you froze up and you can't feel, well, then you're kind of vulnerable. That mind, that, that intellectual works with the, the feeling state, but it all works through the human body. What a phenomenal organism we are. They want to tell me that I'm a, I'm a serendipitous accident. No. I can't believe it. It just doesn't make sense to me. From my, from my street corner, I am not a serendipitous accident. Like you put all these letters in this box. I've said this before, and there's hundreds of thousands or millions of letters in a box, all cut A, B, C, all the, and you shake the box and you throw it up in there, and voila, it's Romeo and Juliet. I don't think so. I don't think things work like that. Now, that's just me. That's just me. You know, this is the, the, the uh, interesting thing about life. Nobody knows how this works, but everybody's fronting as if they do. Let us understand the limits of human knowledge. Let us not be so arrogant that we start to use credentialization to portray and to advance a narrative that's just a theory. It's just a theory. But it's kind of a fact now, isn't it? Because if you tell it often enough, often enough, often enough, it becomes the truth. And that's kind of a problem. But this movement thing is critical. Critical. And physical movement is a way to practice your emotional movement and your, 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 um, your, your mental movement. I mean, think about athletes. They have to be physically appropriate. They have to be emotionally right to feel. They have to feel the game. And they got to know the game. It's really, that's why we love athletics. That's why we love athletics. So Rice is off playing in the Big Three this weekend. CBS will broadcast at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. It's Big Three Week 5 on national television. We can watch Royce. CBS, again, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. The games will be played in Miami this weekend. Uh, Royce is on the power. Power is taking on the Ghostballers. Both teams are 3-1, and one, so we're going to have the potential for an epic game, a showdown for first place. And to add to the excitement, please let me suggest consider going to mybookie.com and get some skin in the game. You know, if my bookie 
from the biggest games to the smallest games. Whatever you want to bet on, you want to get some skin in the game, that's a place to go. Very easy to navigate, very straight ahead. Right now, if you put a, vo- a, a bet, I was going to say a vote, kind of the same thing, isn't it? If you, I never thought about that before. It was a Freudian slip. Bets and votes, there's a similarity there. Put a bet down on Power, on Royce, get into the game, follow Royce. We, not, we want to support him. You put in 100 bucks and they win the championship, that'd be the Power, and you get six times back on your money, and that's a pretty good score. Go to the site. And whatever your game game is, whatever your game is, sign up today. Sign up today and you get to bet with house money. Just use promo code Royce and grab yourself a welcome bonus on your first deposit. Yes, you heard it. I'm giving it the way it is, the facts. Promo code Royce and grab yourself some extra funds, redeemable all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere, mybookie.com. And thank you very much to our sponsor. Let's support our sponsors. This is the Patriot Economy. We want to support the people and the companies that are supporting the movement. They need our support. We need their support. This is what is called a good circulation. It's called building a political economy. This is how we win. Well, (laughs) there goes my voice because it's going to get real interesting. I wasn't going to talk about the Ukraine, of course, because this is the please call me crazy audience. But when you go to the Professor Penn podcast, I always like to bring up the latest Ukraine news because that drama is quite dramatic. It's been a little quiet there lately. Well, that ended. (laughs) That ended. I'm laughing because it's quite predictable. And if it wasn't so tragic, it'd be hilarious. It's really hilarious. And some of the news that came out was hilarious. You know, a couple uh, days ago, the Russian-Ukrainian grain deal, which allowed the Ukraine to export its wheat, which is a very significant part of world food supply, they had a deal, was brokered by President Erdogan of Turkey, another story. They had a deal, and they were letting the boats go into the Ukrainian ports like Odessa and load up. And the boats would go out, and everything was good. There was no problem. They had a deal. Well, the deal broke down, and I'll tell you why the deal broke down. The Russians had some demands. They had some demands. And they were told, hey, the people, we have to feed the people. And the Russians have reminded the world that there's a war going on. And, of course, why not? Because the Ukrainians are blowing up stuff inside the, you know, nationally recognized borders of the Russian Federation. It's a war. You know, it's kind of entertainment for us, right? They're not blowing up our city. They're not starving us to death. So we watch it like it's a cartoon. But a couple nights ago, the uh, Russians launched one of their worst ever uh, missile attacks, probably sub-base missile attacks, on the Ukrainian ports, and they blew them up. They blew them up. I'm going to read you a quote. This is interesting. This is from a Ukrainian social media. It's available for everybody. One of the worst nights ever. Rockets attacked Odessa with different types. We don't remember such a large-scale attack from the very beginning of the full-scale invasion. As a result of the attack, there is damage in the Paraspevsky and Kievsky districts, residential buildings, broken windows. A cemetery was damaged. Listen to this. According to preliminary information, there were no fatalities. 
after obtaining after obtaining permission, the military will leave for all Odessa addresses. Ah, forget this. It's not written well. The guy was screwed up. But what's interesting, the Russians trashed these ports, blew them up. And, of course, Putin held off on doing it because when you start blowing up port infrastructure, you're destroying the ability of that country to function in the long term. If, if uh, we live through this, these ports are going to have to get rebuilt. It'll be more debt. Someone's going to come in and borrow the Ukrainians the money because they don't have any money. It's a mess. But they blew these ports up, and they did it with great style. And, of course, people are saying that it was barbaric. Hey, and it's war. And the United States, that'd be us, the globalist, the globalist club, we do this all the time. When we attacked uh, Iraq, same kind of stuff, same kind of stuff. So, you know, there's all this uh, kind of uh, chatter about how horrifying this is. It's war. It's war. War. going to escalate, right? It is escalating right before our eyes. So if it was up to me, if, if I was the leader of the band, I, you know, and I'm not because part of being a political activist is you can do it two ways. You can try to control people or you can just lay the ideas out there. There's no protests here in my city about this war. I remember when uh, Bush, in 2000 and Bush, when they attacked, you know, Afghanistan and then Iraq, and I was driving over to see my mom and dad in St. Paul. I had to drive by a university, McAllister College. Every time I went by there, and I went to my parents frequently, there was hundreds of people out saying Bush was a war criminal. He was a war criminal. And it was the leftists that were out there doing it. Apparently, apparently, they don't understand the difference between globalists and nationalists and Democrats and Republicans. They don't get that. That's because they're blue pill people. They think they're taking the red pill, but they get a red pill that's filled with blue pill medicine. These people are dumber than dirt. They think this is about the left versus the right. That's what they think. They think they believe that's what it's about. After all, they're mostly college kids and professors. We have to have a little bit of a soft heart for these people because they're just not very smart. Sorry. You have to be not very smart to think that you're going to protest a globalist war because it's under a Republican president and then not protest a globalist war because it's under a Democrat president. This is called not logical. So they're not logical, which means they're just not very educated. Oh, but they all work at the universities. How could that happen? They're supposed to be our intellectual elites. And the reason why is... Several generations of these people have been taught what to think and not how to think. So they don't see it. They just don't see it. I had a guy. This is hilarious. I had a guy that knows my mother. So he approached me by email. Got my email from somebody I know. Actually, my young, valiant uh, leader of the Republican Party who decided to throw me to the wolves. But, you know, that's another story sent out the Emmer video, and, uh, you know, all of the beep hit the fan. I'm getting better at this, aren't I? Anyhow, we do that because we want to be welcoming and engaging for everybody. Now, I know it's the police call me crazy audience, so if I digress into a tirade of swearing, it's because I know you can handle it. 
And I like to swear. I think it's great swearing. But um, this guy sent me an email, and he criticized me for I was, uh, I think on this show, I was criticizing Mike Pence. And I played a, a little clip where he was interviewed by Tucker Carlson. And Tucker said, you know, we're going to hell in a handbasket here. What about the American people? And Pence said, that's not my concern. And if you listen to the rest of the clip, which I didn't play, he covered it up. He realized that what he was saying was either he was baiting the audience or he had a brain fart. I don't know which, I don't care. But when a commentator comes to you and says, our cities are in chaos, every city is descending into depravity and crime, our economy's in shambles, the American people can't find Ukraine on the map. What about America? And the ex-vice president says, that's not my concern. I don't care what his reason is. I don't care what he subsequently says. Now, my antagonist you know, sent me several emails criticizing me and telling me what a great man Mike Pence was. Really? That's very interesting. Okay, that's fantastic. And he also criticized me on the Emmer piece. He criticized me very heavily, of course, using his connection with my mother to get in touch with me. And I realized I just had this sixth sense, and I hope he's watching me, that many other people were associated with this guy. I just got this feeling there was more energy there than him. I don't know why. I just got it. So I invite all of you, get in a room, get in the ring, and let's talk it through. And I sent this guy a long email with all kinds of source material because he said, well, I can't really respond because I don't know that much about central bank digital currencies. And my response to that was, Ignorance breeds fear and anger. If you're ignorant, if you're ignorant, if you're a blue pill addicted ignorant, please do your homework. That's what the podcasts are about. That's what Royce is doing. We're trying to get out a mechanism for critical thinking. I'm not asking anyone to think like I think. I'm not saying think this way. I say there's four street corners. Whatever street corner you're on, you have a contribution to make to the discourse. I'm going to learn from you because I'm going to listen to you. But if you don't know shit from Shinola and you show up acting like you got an opinion, are you going to take that one out? Practice. Good. <laughs> I'm just saying if you haven't read the source material, I mean, are you going to comment on a debt ceiling bill that you didn't read? I read it. Have you read it? Do you know you can go online and read that 99-page scam? And then you'll be sure that we were sold a BS story. And I said, hey, you heard me say it if you watch the Professor Penn podcast, and please go over and subscribe. I actually said that Tom Emmer, House Majority Whip, is a fantastic salesman. Fantastic. Top notch. Can't get better. And I said, he's a propagandist at the level of Goebbels. And they were very, how you can't compare Emmer to Goebbels? I'm not. I'm not saying Emmer's a Nazi. Let's be precise 
in our communication. I'm saying he's an expert propagandist like Goebbels. I'm not saying he's a Nazi. I have no evidence of such. I have no evidence. But I will say, $33 trillion of debt is going to have a consequence. And what we're doing here in the Professor Penn podcast and in the Please Call Me Crazy podcast is trying to lay out a predicate about what's going to happen when this crisis comes. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to come, right? And why do we know that? Well, we played the, the 51 countries that went to the re- re- recent digital currency conference. You know they're getting ready to, to spring it on us. Someone's going to have to pay the tab. Someone is going to fill in that hole. I have a question. It's a young audience. Do you all have 401ks or 529 plans? or Roth IRAs, any government savings programs that allow you to defer taxes. Do any of you have that? How about cash on deposit in a bank? Who's got cash on deposit in a bank? And I'm not expecting it to be many of us because 85% of us are living paycheck to paycheck. So, I mean, I'm not trying to put you down. Uh, Professor Penn doesn't have too much money in the bank. They're taking it all from me. That's what inflation is. It's piracy, right? That next crisis, when it comes, who's going to pick up the tab? That's what we're going to be arguing about. If the globalists are in control, as they are now, in other words, if you don't go to precinctstrategy.com, and research how to get in the game of politics if you don't self-govern. In other words, and I'm not speaking about you personally because there's many other ways for you to express yourself, including listening to Royce. I mean, that's critical, truth media. But if we the people don't get into a position where our collective will is strong enough to overcome this, well, we're going to own nothing, and they tell us we're going to be happy, and that's a lie We're not going to be happy. That's what you call a bullshit story. Because someone's picking up this tab. It's either going to be you and me, or it's going to be people that have billions of dollars, or it's going to be a workaround, you know, a kind of a combination. If we have no political power, we're going to pay. They're going to take every last dime from every American citizen. That's their plan. And why are they doing it? Go watch and go study up on this currency conference, they want total and complete global equity. Total and complete global equity. And as Mrs. Professor Penn said, and I think this is very smart, it's very difficult to make everyone rich, but making everybody poor is quite easy, and they're going about it full blast, and we have not yet develop the energy, the strength of will to arrest this process. That's why I'm talking to you. So that's what we're going to do, right? We're going to preserve. Let's just put it on on another level. I'm doing this for purely spiritual reasons. Maybe some of you don't have the faith of a mustard seed. Do you got any money? How about doing it just for your cash? If you want to own nothing, ignore this. 
If you want to continue to build a future for yourself and your children or for your parents or your loved one, or maybe just for yourself, just you, you got to get involved. You got to get involved. Well, I have to tell you, um, we had a meeting, the full committee, the full committee. It's the full committee. And why am I talking about this? Because I know the, the Please Call Me Crazy audience is not totally up to what I'm doing over on the Professor Penn podcast. I'm an officer of the Republican Party. I'm in good standing, but I'm not beloved. I'm hated. And we had a meeting. We had a meeting when we were trying to resolve a, a, a tremendous amount of acrimony that exists between this kind of an audience, the America Firsters, and the traditionalists, the globalist Republicans, who hate us. And what I realized is, these people, for those of you who have read the New Testament, and I recommend you do, these people are the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites of the 21st century. They're the same people that are described in the, Old Te- in the New Testament. The same people. Well, no, they're not the exact same people, but they're fulfilling the exact same role. These folks that are in the parties, the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, that hold the power positions. These are the Praetorian Guard that protect the globalists. That's what they do. That's their mission. They're exactly the same as the police that walk the streets with billy clubs, stun guns, and handguns, rifles, and automatic weapons. And if you jump up in the community, let's say you're a person of color and you just want to make a comment, they'll beat you down with the kind of ferocity that we keep seeing over and over and over again, the ferocity of repression, material, in-the-body repression, the repression of the physical revolt in the street. And that's why the Republicans are always saying, back the blue, back the blue, back the blue, back the blue, you know, kind of like it's a brainwash, because they're afraid of that un- restricted anger that they see in the street really scares the Republican. That street anger, those people who don't have anything. And so really there's a system here because the party officers, they're also police, but they're the thought police. They're protecting the orthodoxy of globalism, not Republicanism. Republicanism's got nothing to do with it. They've taken the party over. I'm talking about the machinery of the party. Whilst we were out enjoying soccer games and baseball games and family trips and whatever we did to amuse ourselves, these sons of guns went in there and they got control of it and they own it right now. So the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites, they're the police of the spiritual world, the world where the unalienable rights are emanating from. They've, they've occupied that space. No different than the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites were in the temple. They were in the temple. They're attorneys. They're attorneys. A lot of them are attorneys because it's about the law. I know this is a little bit uh, detailed today. I hope I'm not losing you. I hope I'm not losing myself because I thought about this more. I've thought about these things this morning in reference to this this recent meeting we just had. So um, their goal, these scribes and these Pharisees and these hypocrites, is to use the law 
to repress and to control all who try to enter into the political process. Now, let's get this straight. This is critical. This is critical from my perspective. No, I'm not saying I'm right. There's other ways to do it. I'm very aware of it. But if we want to do it constitutionally, in peace, let's understand there's a difference between the street, which is a physical pursuit, and the party, which is an intellectual pursuit. When we mix the rage of the street into the party process, those in control of the law will always win, every time. And I got a great view. I mean, this this last meeting we had, boy, it was really interesting. Um, I went in there, and I have people in my own movement here that are pissed at me because I went and I proposed. You know, I first of all, I didn't get involved in the fight because, after all. Why would I want to waste my energy in a fight? The best way to win a fight is don't get in one. These people are irrelevant. What's relevant is me talking to you and you getting involved in politics because politics is a numbers game. So these people that are controlling the party, these scribes, these Pharisees, these hypocrites, there's not that many of them, and there's millions of us. How do they control it? We just don't get involved. We just don't get involved. But we're going to change that. Please, in your heart, promise yourself. Let me make this clear. They don't control anything if you and I just step up. All you got to do is step up, and we're going to show you how to do it, share with you how to do it. It's going to be so easy. And then the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites are removed, and we're going to have people with sacred honor running the parties, and then it's all going to get better. You play with the people that show up to practice, but the better you play, the better people that come to practice. Now, I'm going to talk to my own people. When we mix the street with politics, we lose. I went in, those of you who are mad at me, and I made a very eloquent presentation. And I said, let us focus on the protection of our children. That's what I said. Let us focus on protecting the children because the children are inventory. So you can range from this pro-life abortion thing up through health and well-being, you know, overweight, obesity, childhood, on, early onset diabetes, to education in the schools, to child sex trafficking, to gang involvement and membership, to drug use. There are so many things that we can do as politically active. Protecting children is not partisan. If you're a parent and you're a leftist and you have children, Oh, my, please, let's protect your children. Please unite with me to protect your children. And I proposed this, and if the party was just, they loved it. They were clapping, and guess what? I made this motion to protect the children, work on protecting the children, and guess the second motion? I knew it was going to happen before I did it. It was Mr. History didn't, doesn't matter. Mr. History doesn't matter. Jumped up. I second the motion. This is fantastic. I brought about peace because ensuing peace and love is the way to win. And I gave all the American firsters an opportunity to disengage from the fight and focus on us, our community, 
building our political economy, building our knowledge, building our connections so that we can really do the work of changing this awful business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy. Well, it didn't work. Because right after I uh, did the deal and brought everybody together, and I said I demand a unanimous vote. And you know what was unanimous except for one person? One person. And this person, as it turns out, works on a contract basis for the Republican Party. What a surprise. I am very flattered. I want to mention her name, but she's a nobody. So what, why, just to be an asshole? I'm not going to do it, because this kind of asshole, this, I'm not going to be what, like she is, an asshole. I'm going to take the high road and say, who cares? These people are all over everywhere. But the flattering part was, she got orders from her boss that no matter what I did, she was to oppose it. Because the entire world, and two-thirds of those people hate me. Everybody said, all in favor of this motion, say aye. And there was this thunderous aye. And all opposed, one person, nay. Okay. If you're opposed to protecting children, stand up and raise your hand. And she did in front of the whole community. Oh, this isn't going to go away. We might have to add a fourth stooge. Now we're going to have the four musketeers. The woman who said, I don't need to protect children. Ha! Ah! What a great story this is. It gets better and better all the time. It gets better and better all the time. I'm going to work on the messaging so it's funnier because it's hilarious. It's hilarious. But I'm flattered because you actually came and your boss said, no matter what I do, say no. I think that's great. Thank you for knowing who I am. I'm all about well-being and protecting our children. And if you're on the other side of that as a political message, hey, it's nice to know who you are. Thanks for letting us know. Everybody got to see it. I mean, even the most staunchest ex-military intelligence uniparty Republicans who are the cops, the thought police, they had a side with it because they were smart enough to know, how do you get on the other side of protecting children? Well, they did it. That one woman did it. I also made a prayer for an ill child of a uni party member. She managed to uh, let us know that she had a sick son who was in intensive care, and for that child, I do wish uh, uh, full and complete healing. And we, our community came together about that. But with all this effort, as soon as the whistle blew and the game was over, everybody went right back to the fight. And I told my side, stop fighting with these people. We're going to call this, and I'm going to mention a name. No, I'm not. Let's keep it even. I'm going to call it CB rule number one. 90% of our efforts are going into community organizing. Remember when they used to call Obama a community organizer? I used to go, what the hell is that? Oh, you know what? I'm a community organizer. You're a community organizer. We're getting organized. We're spending 90% of our time on it, and 10% of our time we're going to learn parliamentary procedure so we can go in and get it, the work done. Whereas our opponents, the thought police, they want to spend 90% of the time on parliamentary procedure, and they don't want to organize the community, lest there be more Republicans. Remember, Mr. We Don't Need Any More Republicans? Well, by the way, I made very happy because I told him he could be in charge of the whole project. Let's see how he does. I hope he does a very good job because I'm expecting really good work product to come out of this because we can all unify. 
What can we all unify behind? I'm not kidding around about this. No, is there some setup in here? Yeah. But I really wanted to come up with some new messaging. That's what this is about, the new party. What can all of us agree? What I've said this. I want a message that 70% of the American people can agree about because then we got a, a numbers. We got numbers that no, nothing could go wrong. 70%. We're coming together as a community. What can we go down? What road can we go down? I thought, my goodness, protecting children. Well, you live and you learn, right? What is this party? What is this party? This is a 15-minute vignette on my opinion about it. And I'm telling you, I'm saying very directly, it is a thought control machine intended to take people like me that want to get involved politically and grind us to dust. And this is where the modern scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites reside. And now you know what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is the kind of person that says, the rules apply to thee, but not to me. A hypocrite. You see them everywhere. The hypocrites and the Pharisees, the interpreters of the law, the law applies to thee, but not to me. And the scribes, the people that write the law down, that'd be the rules committee. The rules committee. The rules and bylaws committee. They're the scribes. This thing is corrupted in the extreme, in the extremists. What we need is sacred honor. If you go back and read your New Testament, Jesus put a lot of time into this issue dealing with his own community, which for all the anti-Semites that might be lingering out there, that would be the Jewish community, okay? He was dealing with the Jewish community, the Israelite community, the Hebrew community, the community that was the direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and King David, and Jesus Christ, Yahshua. And he went into the temple, and turned over the tables of the money changers. Oh, we got a lot of money changers here, don't we? That would be called the business model that everybody agrees on. Three trillion bucks a year, a trillion dollars of profit, 30% profit, right? A trillion dollars or more. And if you want to get into the Congress, hey, those guys are out front with tables. Jesus would turn those tables over. He would turn those tables over. over. And he ended up arguing with the Pharisees and the hypocrites because they'd put small issues in front of him and see how he would answer. They were trying to use the law to trip up the father of all creation. That's kind of stupid, right? To use the law to mess up the lawgiver? This is the arrogance of man. So what did Jesus do? And this really goes for all this parliamentary procedure and constitutional everything. He reduced the law. He did not get rid of the law. He said, I'm going to wait. Who in the audience remembers what he said? Let's think about it. I did not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. And he reduced the law down to two simple and easy to remember precepts. Number one, 
love the Lord your God with all your strength and all your might and all your soul. And two, treat your neighbor as you wish your neighbor to treat you. And these are the two great laws. And all we have to do is remember this. And if we're in the street fighting, that's who we are. And I'm not going to comment on it, but I will remind you that the America Citizens Movement is being framed up to be a domestic terror movement. So if you want to play right in the hands of the power so that we all go to jail, get clipped out, be a racist, be an anti-Semite, be a homophobe, be a xenophobe, or be potentially violent or threatening violence, emotional or physical. And if we do those, those, those things, if we are anti-Semitic, and that's why we talked about the anti-Semitic movements recently on the Professor Penn podcast and the populist movements that were racist. If we allow the, the globalists to discredit us in the eyes of the community, the large community of undecideds that we're trying to get red-pilled, if we allow the globalists to paint us with those anti-Semitic and, and racist brushes and then we threaten or actually act violent, we're handing the whole game over to the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites. No. No. This is the game. If we lose this game, we're done. So I'm going to say to the people that are with me, please let's learn from this. Let's look in the mirror. Let us get the people up front that know how to argue the law with the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites. And let us all find roles or let us upgrade our well-being such that we disengage from a fight we cannot win and put our energy into the community building and the love building and the well-being building effort in our precincts and in our neighborhoods. And shall we do that together, we will win. Interesting, isn't it? Now this kind of reminds me, how does this all work? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of a scene that I love. It's an old movie. Who here has watched The Godfather? Have you watched The Godfather, Tanner? Tanner. Tan my young producer, Tanner. See, this is the kind of thing that gives me hope because the young Tanner, who's in his early 20s, and he's a great producer, and I really like him. He, did you watch Tombstone yet? Okay, put Tombstone number two. This weekend, an assignment, watch The Godfather. And if you've never watched The Godfather, watch The Godfather. It's an Academy Award-winning movie. It stars Marlon Brando, who you probably never heard of, James Caan, Al Pacino. I mean, it is fantastic. I have a friend of mine, Thomas the Good, who's been saying for decades, everything you need to know about life is in The Godfather. So please... It's a great movie. You'll actually have a great time. And there's a scene in this movie where the, when the top narcotics man, Salazzo, has a meeting with the Godfather. It's a great, I mean, I want to play it, but you know, copyright and all, I'm going to talk about it, and then hopefully it'll give you the desire to go find this scene. And Salazzo says, hey, my business is heroin. I have poppy fields, laboratories in Marseille and Sicily. I'm ready to go into production. My importing methods are as safe as these things can be. The risk is nothing. The profits are enormous. 
you know, he's in on the business model of slavery, drugs. He's in the drug section. He's a top drug guy. Top. He's a top narcotics guy. And the, the godfather, Don Coyone, he says, why do you come to me? To what do I deserve this generosity? And Salazzo says, I need $2 million in cash. More important, listen to this. I need a friend who has people in high places, a friend who can guarantee that if one of my employees be arrested, they would only get a light sentence. Please be my friend. I want to have access to the politicians that you have in your pocket like so many nickels and dimes. Watch this scene, because if you want to understand the business that we're in here, this says it all. But see, Don Coyone, he had sacred honor. He had sacred honor. And there's this fantastic scene. Just fantastic. Where he says, you know, there's a limit to this. You know, I can be involved in harmless vices like gambling because it's really a harmless vice in comparison to heroin. And he walks over, and they're all dressed nice, like, a, like Professor Penn's dress. And then my favorite scene of all movies is he sits down next to Salazzo, he says, I said I would see you because I've heard you're a serious man to be treated with respect. And as he sits down, he brushes some dirt off his pants leg. And that's my favorite scene. Because, you know, if you're in a fight with someone, and you can kick them off their feet and catch them before they hit the ground, they don't know if they're on foot or horseback. And that's what the Godfather did to Salazzo. He complimented him, and he made him into a schmuck simultaneously. And then he said to him, I'll give you my reasons. He told him, no, I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to give you my reasons. Uh, yes, it's true. I have many, many friends in politics but they wouldn't be so friendly if my business was narcotics instead of gambling. They think gambling is something like liquor, a harmless vice, but they think this narcotics is a dirty business. This movie is about a 1950s, 1940s America, 1960s America. Oh, narcotics is no longer a dirty business. The government's in the business. We've gone so far so fast See, when the, when the mafia's controlling these vices, at least you know there's something not right about it. But when the government legalizes it, they've legalized the exploitation of human appetites. But I want you to go watch this movie to get the whole point of the Godfather series. The Godfather controls his empire the strings, the marionette strings, by controlling the political realm. And that's what you and I are facing. And the political realm is controlled by the business model of slavery, drugs, and piracy. And the Godfather knew within his context that compared to the know-nothings and the Whigs and the Republican Party and the military-industrial complex, they were nothing. What the Godfather wanted was for his son to go legal and to become president of the United States, where one day 
he could really be in control. Why were they criminals? Not because they were criminal by nature. They were criminals because they were discriminated against and they were not allowed to function as American citizens. They were not allowed to function as Italian citizens. These countries were under control by a bigger mafia. Oh, and I bet you know what mafia that is, don't you? That'd be the mafia that controls slavery, drugs, and piracy. So these guys were smart. These guys were creative. They said, hell, I can be a, you know, kind of a, kind of a pots and go get a job selling cars and be part of the system and blue pill myself every day until I die miserable and unwell of a heart attack of 56 years old. Or I'm going to take the red pill because if my government's stealing and the business model of the British Empire is piracy, drugs, and slavery, hey, guess what? I'm going to get in on it. I'm going to make my own empire because these people aren't letting me in on the big money. And that's what criminality was. And you know what? Our, our, our business model, our, our government, our government, our elites looked at the mafia and they said, we're not going to leave these people a penny. We're taking their franchise over. We're knocking them out. And they did. And they did. And you know who they're knocking out right now? That'd be me and that'd be you. They're taking out the patriot economy. They're taking out our freedom. And they intend to take every dime that you and I have ever saved or will ever have a chance to earn. And that is slavery. Slavery, drugs, and piracy. They're going to pirate it away from us. They're getting addicted. They're getting us addicted to all kinds of different drugs, dopamine. Drugs are legal all over the world now. Slavery and drugs and the piracy. And they're taking everything they have from us, and that's why we're getting political, because they're forcing us to. And there's more of us. And if we can get the anti-Semites and the racists and the xenophobes and the homophobes and the people that threaten violence or act violently or emotionally act out, if we can get those people to step aside and let love and community prevail and we organize our communities around well-being, it's game over for these globalists. And if you're hearing me and you don't like what I'm saying because you're in the movement, I'm just going to ask you to think about it. I'm just going to ask you to think about it. Well, we have got to save this currency. I mean, that's really all there is to it. I mean, you can't get any more can't get any more uh, dramatic about it. This currency goes, and that's what I was arguing with this guy that contacted me here in town. We're arguing about central bank digital currencies. And I mean, just go to federalregister.gov. Do your own research. I know that I'm not supposed, I mean, I'm supposed to be funny and I'm giving you homework. Man, I'm sorry. I am really sorry I'm saying doing, you remember in the Matrix, Morpheus said to Neo, you gotta see it for yourself. You can't get it from me. You actually got to see it for yourself. You just go to federalregister.gov and you put in central bank digital currencies and you're gonna see our government is getting ready to roll this out right now. Right now, today, 
that these central bank digital currencies are getting online everywhere, that the central banks are coordinating it. And why are they doing it? Why are they doing it? Because they intend to do it. It's not an accident. And they actually fence the thing as it redresses uh, discrimination in the monetary system, that certain groups have more access to capital than other groups. That's true. And is there some discrimination in there? Oh, of course there is. Of course there is. But you know, when you start talking about the money, when you start talking about the money, it says neither a borrower or a lender be. I just borrowed some money to somebody. Guy called me up. I kind of felt like the godfather. It was a funny story. I made the statement, I don't use credit cards anymore, and I write checks because I want to gum up this digital system. And I'm asking every one of you, if you really want to gum these people up, go analog. I mean, we just, it's just a pro. Why do we do this? Because it's convenient. It's so convenient. You know what's convenient? You're going to trade your life, your convenience. You're trading away your self-governance. We're trade, not you. We are trading away our self-governance and our freedom for convenience, for a material high, and for safety. So the convenience part of it, oh my, I mean, come on. I'm giving up my freedom for convenience so I can conveniently be locked away in a digital prison? And who's that convenient for? That's convenient for the warden, not convenient for me. So I'm not doing it anymore. So I kind of feel like the godfather. This guy calls me up, says, I don't know who I can trust. I said, okay. He goes, what do you do? I said, what, what did they say I do? <laughs> he said, you know, I don't know who I can trust, but I need some money. I said, well, and I thought to myself, you know, okay. Because I don't refuse requests. If I, can, if I can fulfill a request, I will do so. Because you never know what will happen. You never know what will happen from a good turn. <clears throat> Although I do prefer not to know the people because it's a higher level of intervening. But he was in need, and I, you know, he came over. I said, I'm at such and such and so-and-so corner. I'm smoking a cigar. I'll be here for another hour. And he came over, and I took out my cash, and I, I, I gave him what he needed. And it was a lot of money, and I felt like the godfather. But I, was, I, you know, I said to him, I said, there's two rules with this money. Number one, don't ask me for any more money until you pay me back. And number two, I'm not charging any interest because I'm a person of the book. I'm not going to charge interest. And I'm willing to lose that money because I'm not going to refuse a request from a fellow citizen if it's within my power to fulfill that request. So it's a little, it is a little bit like the Godfather. But why do I do this? Why am I carrying this cash? I want to save this currency. I desperately want to see it get this debt. That's why I went after Ammer. If you got, want to go to the Professor Penn podcast and look at Lie to Me, this thing with House Majority Whip Emmer, the way he fenced this debt ceiling bill as the greatest cut in American history, and they're still coming to me and telling me I'm an asshole for criticizing them, and they never read the bill. Probably if they read the bill, they can't figure it out because it takes practice to read these bills. 
So if they're novices, they're going to go through two paragraphs and go, I give. And they're going to listen to whatever propaganda gets put in their ear. Got to save the currency. How do we do it? Well, number one, we gum their system up and we go analog. That's great. Carry cash, pay cash. Don't use your credit cards. Just don't. Another thing about it is you will not be in debt if you only spend the money in your pocket, and your life will be easier. It sounds hard, but once you make that transition, hey, it's fantastic. I mean, I want to say this from a perspective of well-being. I have corporate debt, so I have a company that has corporate debt. I wish it didn't have it. That's terrible. But I have no personal debt. I have no personal debt. No, I don't live high. I live super modest. I live, I mean, I have a few indulgences. I have a few nice suits. But I don't have a lot of money personal. I live in a very modest home it's paid for. I pay everything cash. I don't waste any money. I save every penny I can in whatever fashion I save it in, which is not in those IRAs and those 401ks, because when the shit hits the fan, they're going to take those away. That's how they're going to make us poor. Oh, emergency. We're taking that away. You know, that's called piracy. And they got no problem doing it because your money is in their vault. And it's not really money. It's just digital. It's already digital. I mean, you know, what they want to do is eliminate the dollar, the fiat currency that is represented by those digital entries. They want to make gold illegal. They want to completely control who buys and sells. You know, that's eerily apocalyptic. Did I think I would ever say that 10 or 15 years ago? No. Other people were saying it. I wasn't. But these people want to control who buys and sells. Go look it up. Go look it up in Revelations. I don't want to. Trust me when I tell you I don't want to. I don't like to be eschatological. That means apocalyptically thinking, eschatologically thinking. I don't want to do that. It's just a coincidence. Is it a coincidence? I don't know. You know I'm hedging here because I don't want to scare anybody. But having feelings means be scared. These people are dangerous. They're dark. They're humanists. They're materialists, and they are focused on taking everything you have to fill in this huge worldwide debt hole that they've dug for precisely the reason of having a crisis that they're going to create and then provide the answer for. You can go all the way back to a movie called Rollover that was let out in 1981 that talked about a global currency collapse. You can go back and look at it. Watch the movie. Now, it's not on a par with uh, The Godfather. Tanner, please po promise me you'll watch The Godfather. Pro please, it's three hours. You're actually going to have fun. It's a, it's a phenomenal movie. All of you, if you have not seen the, even if you have seen The Godfather, go back and review it because it tells us so much about how politics works. I mean, media's in this thing. Politicians are in this thing. Actors are in this movie. It's very comprehensive. <clears throat> RFK, RFK Jr., that'd be Robert Kennedy Jr., the son of one of the four martyrs who was killed uh, in the 60s, the son, who's 
you know, now competing to get the Democrat nomination to be the presidential candidate in the in the Democrat Party. He came out this week and vowed to back the U.S. dollar with Bitcoin or gold if elected president. What he's saying is, hey, the dollar is on the verge of collapse, and let's back it with gold. Let's no longer financialize our, our system. Let's make it real. Financialize means make it a cartoon. Backing it with gold makes it real. It brings it down closer to the jungle, closer to the earth, closer to the material. We've kind of drifted away into a bullshit story, a fugazi. So here's a guy, Robert Kennedy Jr., please check him out, who's running, and part of his platform is, we're going back to sound money. Now, Ron Paul was screaming about this in 2012, and he made some progress, and he got shut down. By who? Guess who? The scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites met him at the temple door and all of his followers went down in a hail of negativity and arguing. Doesn't work. Now this guy's different. This guy's got juice. He's saying the right things. Now there's many things I don't agree with, but there's many things I do agree with and sound money and paying down this debt so that they don't take all my money away and all your money away and all the money Tanner might ever get in his life. Now, these young people, because they don't have anything, hey, they're all for it because for them it's equity. Hey, if you're 25 years old and you don't have a pot to piss in, do you really care if a 55-year-old guy also doesn't have a pot to piss in? It's kind of justice. It's called equity. Look at all the work that's going into equity. But what we don't know is in America, what we haven't figured out is the kind of equity these people have in mind is worker of the world you know workers of the world unite mhm mm communism everybody needs to have the same thing you know what that means the translation everybody's going to be poor and what the reason why is oh we have to be poor to save the earth we have to be poor to save the earth because the earth too much pollution too much consumption too much too much farming too many people. See how those things work together? We're all going to be poor. And the reason we all need to be poor is we're all going to die. And as I said in my last podcast, <laughs> we're all going to die. Our elites are saying, hey, if we're all going to die, let's just advance it and be in control of it. Let's get out in front of it. That's who we're dealing with. Think about what I'm saying. I know I'm being a little opaque. Uh, that's because you have to figure it out for yourself. So Bobby Kennedy is uh, proposing selling money, and I'm, I owe, I have a business, and I'm, I owe the bank money, and business is tough this year. And I lay in bed at nights, and sometimes I wake up, and I can't sleep. My mattress isn't comfortable. My pillows aren't comfortable. And I sweat out my bed, and I get up, and it's wet, and I feel gross. And then Mrs. Professor Penn, she's mad at me because it is gross. It's gross. I admit, and I, I'm going to tell you again, if you're having night sweats, that could be a serious health condition. I have night sweats. I've been having them since a, I had post-traumatic. <clears throat> I am a victim of post-traumatic stress disorder. So I have night sweats because when I sleep, I think about things in my sleep that make me quite upset. 
when you see things and you do things and you know things that are beyond the normal four square of human life, you end up with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I sweat. I sweat. And I, I got this new sponsor. Royce got this new sponsor for Free People Radio. It's all Royce's work. I, I'm, please, I'm, I'm just a spokesperson. But Ghostbed, ghostbed.com. These folks are using a certain kind of material in their bedroom products, which includes mattresses and sheets and pillows and all the accoutrement. You can go to their website, ghostbed.com, and they're using a cooling technology. And I am going to check this out. I said it before. I'm going to say it again because I need this. I need this. It may help me sleep better because, you know, this is important for my <clears throat> for my well-being is getting good sleep. So I'm going to go and I'm going to ask you to go to Ghostbed, ghostbed.com, upward slash Royce, and use promo code Royce for 40% off site-wide. That's a big discount. 40% off, I'm in business. These people really want to build a community here. I'm going to assume 40% is not forever because that's a big discount. So go to ghostbed.com, upward slash Royce, put that promo code Royce in for 40% off, and let's support this Patriot Economy participant, Ghostbed. They're supporting the movement. We're supporting Ghostbed, and this thing is supporting us. Truth Media plus the Patriot Economy equals freedom. And if we don't do it, when they're locking you up in your cell, you're going to say, oh, I wish I'd done this and I wish I'd done that. You don't have to have that experience. We just need to get out, meet our neighbors, build a community, and find the truth and support the political movement by supporting the patriot economy. And we're good. It's going to be all good. Well, center stage. What's center stage? We just talked about the uh, currencies getting ready to unwind. That's very important. It's very, very ultra-important. Center stage. Center stage. Well, right now we think center stage is the Ukraine. And boy, it's, it's on the stage. And lingering behind the Ukraine, the South China Sea. So we've got, two, we've got great power conflicts. We've got the globalists, which would be, you know, the United States were the hammer, manipulated by the crown. To have another war with the Russians, 1807, 1853, 1918, 1942. And all these wars happen inside of Russia, but we're told Vladimir Putin is a crazy expansionist. Well, we're doing the bidding of the, of the crown in there. As Tucker Carlson said, our cities are going to hell in a handbasket, and most Americans can't find Ukraine on a map, and our borders are wide open, and we're going, we're just, all in on defending the Ukrainians. And we got the same drama going on with the Taiwanese. And once again, it's us, we the people, playing the role of the globalists, doing the bidding of the Japanese empire, standing in for them on the verge of going to war with the Chinese. Oh, that's just great. We're smart, aren't we? Smart group, smart group of cats running our government, all graduates of our finest institutions, all taught by globalists, all on the payroll of the crown. 
we need an authentic American foreign policy and an authentic, an authentic American foreign uh, domestic and foreign policy. We got to get American. Excuse me. I get when I when I stumble across how crazy this is. Sometimes my brain gets locked up because what's really on center stage? You know, we got stage left and stage right. What's center stage? The Middle East. The Middle East. That'd be Israel. Our little buddies in Israel. <clears throat> you know, um, Israel is the first, this is, I got this from Royce White. Israel is the linchpin of the globalist project after World War II. The state of Israel was established in 1948, and it was established by Ashkenazi Jews. Who are those people? They're European Jews. They look just like me. They were suffering tremendous oppression all over Europe, so there was this, what they called the Zionist movement, and they slowly worked on a program to try to you know, take control of the Holy Land so they'd have their own homeland. These people weren't religious. These people were Marxists. They were against the crown, and they were against the church, and they were advocating for their own place. And we're happy you hate us. Back us. That was their pitch. We're happy to leave. Pay for it. Give us our own country. And, of course, they were told, up yours. There's oil to be had. F*** off. That's our spot. They didn't get a lot of support. You're going to get that one for me. Anyhow, as I played in the last Please Call Me Crazy, which you probably can't see anymore for a while, I played a, a piece of the, of the docudrama Conspiracy, the Wanzi Conference, a true historical event where the hierarchy of the uh, Nazi party was getting together to plan the destruction of uh, European Jewry. And one of the people there said, if you kill these people, they're going to win. Those of us in the America First movement need to listen to this. Politics is not violence. When politics becomes emotionally or physically violent, we've entered into the war phase. And in this political phase on this, this conspiracy docudrama, the guy says, if we kill the Jews, if we clip them out, they're going to win, which is exactly what happened. They clipped them out, and there was this huge worldwide sympathy and sadness over millions of people dying in a couple of years, and they uh, kind of opened the books up, and they pushed the anti-Semitism down, and Israel was formed. But it was formed by Marxists, Marxist, socialist, Ashkenazi Jews. And there was miracles. You know, they had the War of 48 and the War of 67 and the War of 73, and they kept fighting and fighting. But it was a little group. It was a ragtag group, ragtag. They existed solely on the payroll of we the people. We're providing them their arms. And you know, when you're Marxist, when you're Marxists, nobody makes any money. There's no creativity in Marxism. You can't be creative when everybody's the same. The nail that stands out gets pounded down. Like in a Marxist environment, Professor Penn would get pounded down. 
like they're trying to do. Fortunately, I'm kind of a stud. I'm not that easy to pound down. But they got a hammer big enough to pound me down. They just didn't get it out yet. Now, if we're a community and we're all together, there's no hammer that can pound us down. As long as we're operating as lone wolves, we're screwed. That's why I keep saying, please come into the political process. Well, Benjamin Netanyahu, he's been in charge of Israel off and on for a very long time. And he recognized that if Israel was going to survive, it had to lessen its dependency on the United States of America. As we know, we're kind of a schizophrenic uh, country. Left, right, center, up, down, wrong. And, you know, this is how we manipulate other countries. They never know who's going to show up. Is it happy face or crazy face? They, we, don't, we don't let them know. It's kind of a cool part of our system. But, it, you know, I'm going to get back to Netanyahu. Let me just tell you, there's been a big shift in support for Israel. The Democrat, the globalist, sympathy in the Middle East has shifted to the Palestinians, which are the brown people which the white Ashkenazis oppress by putting them in an apartheid situation on the West Bank and on the Gaza Strip. And, hey, that's just what it is. Now, you know, I've told you many times I'm Jewish, and I understand the deal. I mean, I know I could be the most pro-Palestinian Jew on the block, and if I get in a tough spot with a Palestinian, he's going to think I'm a Jew and kill me. It's just the way it is. I'm, I'm not saying every one. Please, no generalizations. I'm just saying overall, it's a blood feud like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Do you know that one? Tanner, have you heard of the Hatfields and McCoys? Man, there's a lot of pieces getting lost here. I'm glad I'm doing the podcast. I can bring forth some, some traditional information for the audience. We're going to have to talk about the Hatfields and the McCoys. That's like the Palestinians and the Jews. It's a blood feud. A blood feud. Well, Democrat sympathies, the globalists in the Democrat Party, you know, like the squad, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and Ayanna Presley, you know, the, the far left, the left, the, the communists in the Democrat Party, the ones with the juice, the ones that are leading the charge, they're leading the party away from supporting Israel. First time it's ever happened. And Netanyahu knew this was going to happen. This guy's a very smart man, Benjamin Netanyahu. And I'm not saying I support him. I'm just saying he's a smart man. Lived in the United States for many years. Speaks perfect English. His brother was a hero. He was a leader of the uh, Israeli military that went into Uganda to liberate a hijacked, a group of hijacked planes and a bunch of Israeli prisoners that were being held by Palestinian terrorists or freedom fighters, depending on what street corner you're standing on. And the Israelis mounted a very famous raid, the raid at Entebbe, and there was only one Israeli casualty, and that was uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's brother who was leading the charge. He was the head man. He was the highest-ranking officer. Killed. The only death. Think about that. Think about what kind of military that is where the most senior guy goes first. They didn't send Mr. Buck Private out there on point to take that shell. The top dog took it different kind of a military, right? That's very different. But uh, he saw Benjamin Netanyahu many years ago that the United States, the way the politics was trending, 
we were not necessarily a reliable benefactor. So he realized that unless Israel developed its own patriot economy, Israel was going to be vulnerable. So he went about deconstructing the Marxist state of Israel, the socialist state of Israel. And there was a lot of resistance because, you know, these people that were in on the Marxist thing, hey, after you have Marxism for a couple decades, you got elites and slaves. So they were all into it. They didn't want to give it up. But Netanyahu put through a series of political moves over a period of time where he opened up the Israeli economy and made it very capitalistic. And the tech industry just exploded there. And it was run mainly by Ashkenazi Jews that were, you know, very educated. And it attracted tremendous capital, capital and turning out, turning out tremendous wealth. And, it, you know, the country has become very influenced by this kind of transhumanist, scientific-based, anti-religious, because their parents were Marxists, right? They, they weren't believers. So they just went from Marxist socialist to, sci- to scientific method. And Netanyahu used this group to create wealth and a political economy, a patriot economy, to fund the Israeli military. He was very successful at it. But, you know, there's religious Jews, and they're of a different nature. They're Mizrahi Jews. They're dark-skinned. They're dark-skinned. Of course, the Ashkenazi Jews never liked them because, you know, wherever you got white and dark, you get racism, even in your own tribe. And these people, because they're religious and believe in God, they said, oh, we're going to go be fruitful and multiply. And their numbers have been coming up and coming up and coming up. And Netanyahu's working both sides of this equation. He's working the, the socialists for the money, but he's working the, the uh, brown Jews, the, brown or the, the, the Middle Eastern Jews. I don't even, please don't get mad at me. I'm not sure how to say it. Never talked about it this openly. But he's working them for the population explosion. And it's exploding. There's alleged to be, based on demographics, 25 million Jews in Israel by 2050. And just a few years ago, all we heard was we're not, there's not going to be a Jewish state because the Palestinians are outbreeding these Ashkenazi Marxist Jews because, of course, the women are liberated, abortion is legal. You know, they're just like uh, right here in uh, downtown Minneapolis. But not these uh, black hats. There's no abortion over on that side of the fence. And these folks, instead of having one or two kids, you have a family with 15 kids, like the Amish, like the Catholics, because they understand demographics as destiny. So we have in Israel today, center stage, a huge controversy, a huge controversy, because Netanyahu sees that the Middle Eastern Jews are now the dominant political force through demographics in Israel. And what they're working on, because they're religious, his coalition is changing the nature of their government and taking away the power of the last Marxist institution, which is the Supreme Court. And man, these people are going at it hammer and tong. Hammer and tong. So what do you got? You got globalists that are you know, really the Ashkenazi anti-Jews. They don't believe in God. They're cultural Jews, but they're not religious Jews. And they're given over to the scientific method and, you know, very ultra-liberal. I mean, when I say liberal, it's progressive. It's 
very much like the progressivism here in the United States because the two countries are close together. There's a lot of cross-pollination. But you have a bigger group and a growing group and an increasing constituency of religious Jews that are Middle Eastern in origin, not European. And these people, these people want to take the country back in a distinctly traditional tract. So you'll be hearing people like Yuval Noah Harari, who is leading the secular Marxist anti-Jews. And he's screaming it's the end of Israel. Well, not really. It's politics. And politics has an outcome. Just like we can have an outcome here. No, I'm not here to comment on the outcome. I'm saying people had a plan. They got organized. And what they did in Israel was the Middle Eastern Jews are out producing, out populating, out family, out, out organizing everything they need to do organization, demographic, population. They're beating the people in charge. These people are in charge of the institutions. They're beating them by getting more people into the process, even to the level of more children in the families. That's politics. It's the precinct strategy at the familial level. All I can say is, wow. And they're going to win because they got more people and they're organized. It's a small community. And they talk one to another. It's a religious community. And everybody knows that the globalist anti-Jews want to run a country that has no religion. And the religious Middle Eastern Jews are saying, up yours, we're Israelis. We are the tribes of Israel. We are the Hebrew people. The whole thing, if you're going to claim you're a Hebrew or an Israeli or a Jew, is you believe in God. Or quit using the word because you're not a Jew. That's their statement. And they're fighting about it hammer and talk. If you want to get some insight into what's going on in our own country, follow the events that are going on in Israel. Sometimes it's easier to see it when you get an example that's not right in your own backyard. It's like a metaphor. But we got two groups fighting. We got a group that does not believe in God fighting with a group that believes in God. And they're fighting through the political process just like the traditional Republicans are fighting with the America Firsters in the Republican Party. There's no fight in the Democrat Party. They all agree. And then RFK jumps up out of nowhere just to complicate the mix, just to complicate it. But the real fight is over in the Republican Party with this anti-God group going against the God group, just like we have the anti-God. So we got two-thirds two or three-quarters of the people, they're all aligned. There's no God. And we got a quarter or a third of the people that don't want to see our money going into the Ukraine to kill people, to kill soldiers, to kill Russians or Ukrainians. Why? Because they believe in God. They know it's not right. It's not a righteous and divine war. It's a war for profit. And if you believe in God, you don't believe in wars for profit. You don't believe in slavery, drugs, and piracy 
if you believe in God because you know it's an unwell business model. If you believe in God, you're about the well-being of the people. You're a believer in truths we hold to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So I want to thank you sincerely for letting me sit in for Royce. I want to ask you again to support Royce by seeing him uh, this weekend on CBS Sports Live, Power versus Ghost Ballers. Going to be a great game. Royce is going to be back soon. I'm going to keep filling in. I'm going to ask you to the Professor Penn podcast on YouTube and click the subscribe button because I want to build my audience, and many of you have, and I love working with you. And thank you, thank you, thank you because we're an action organization here. We're getting much more active. Right after I get done, I'm going to sit down with the people that are building our uh, community outreach program so we can get everybody involved. I'm really excited about that. And uh, this is really about us coming together as a community. The people that know me in Minnesota know that I listen. They know that I care. I have made the transition from narcissism to altruism. And in leaving tonight for your well-being, my gift is think about transitioning from narcissism to altruism, and let's see what comes of that as American citizens when we love one another and put our God first. And on that note, I want to thank you. I look forward to seeing you soon again.